Every time we read the story of the woman at the well, I'm always shocked at its length and its complexity. And I am curious to hear what the preacher has to say about the woman at the well. But I'm the preacher today, and we're going to turn our hearts and minds to Romans. So if you can remember back about 20 minutes ago, before the gospel was read, um, that was my attempt at a joke. Um, <laughs> would you please uh, turn your hearts and minds to the section that we have in Romans today? But before we dive into Romans, I want to offer a word about words. Paul uses a lot of insider language or Christian speak, words like justification and righteousness, even words like reckon, a good southern word, I reckon they are new here. <laughs> even this word takes on a new meaning with the Apostle Paul. The good news is, is that there is no vocabulary quiz. When we're reading or listening to Paul, what matters most is the heart of his theology. And this is it, that we, disciples and followers of Christ, know and experience the free gift of God's love and grace through Christ. Paul compels us to take our faith seriously to follow Christ with our whole lives. And because of this, it can be easy, it is easy to get lost in his letters, to lose focus and attention. Despite our best efforts, we may forget what sin or justification or righteousness are. We might get lost in the words. And so for this reason, hear me say again that what matters most is Paul's theology. He wants us to know that we freely receive the love of God in Christ. Paul wants our thinking and our doing to be ruled by this theology. We are bound to God through Christ, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that we do or will do to earn this grace. Today marks the end of three weeks when we've heard from chapters four and five of Paul's letter to the Romans. And we hear these sections completely out of order. And yet there is some logic to the order. We begin with Adam and the corruption of creation. We end with the power of Christ to overcome creation's malfeasance. And the link, the link is Abraham, the great ancestor of our faith. One of the mysteries of the incarnation is the divine will that rules Jesus' life. We know, we know that Jesus is tempted as we are. He is fully human. And yet his divine mercy and love will not be corrupted. He responds to the destruction of creation with a divine will and compassion every single time. And in this way, Jesus undoes the sin accomplished in Adam. But more than that, the ministry of Christ is done graciously, expecting nothing in return. 
Christ returns to our Creator simply from and because of love. God's love for creation. Because of Christ's divine self-offering, the power of Adam's sin exists no more. The decay of creation accomplished by Adam and in Adam is completely overcome by the righteousness of Christ. The faith of Abraham sits solidly in the middle of this divine arc of God's work. While Adam is ruled by his desire for power for himself, Abraham seeks divine grace. He has no law or Torah to guide him. He has no Jesus to follow. Abraham has a promise written in the stars and in the sand. The promise that God will bless him and his ancestors. Abraham does nothing to earn this promise from God. God comes to Abraham, and Abraham believes God. And from that moment forward, Abraham seeks to live as one who trusts God's promises. He and Sarah are not always successful. They make a lot of mistakes the story tells us. And yet, at the end of their days, the promise stands, passed on to Isaac and Ishmael, a faith that drives Abraham, and only faith. We inherit this promise that God will always bless creation, that God's love for us never ends, Just as Abraham inherited God's grace and mercy through faith, so do we. The corruptibility of Adam threatens our relationship with God, make no doubt about it. And yet Abraham's faith is greater than Adam's desires. We, all of us, witness the divine promise revealed to Abraham in the ministry of Christ. Christ is the promise to Abraham fulfilled. In him, by Jesus' incarnation and resurrection, we are made the kingdom of God. And like Abraham, we do nothing, nothing to earn God's mercy. God comes to us, gives God's self to us freely. And just as Abraham's faith binds him to God, so does ours. Abraham had the stars and the sand, and we have Jesus. Which brings me, finally, to today's reading. The central part of this section in Romans. And Paul writes, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Here it is, the heart of Paul's theology, 
We are bound to God through Christ, and this bind, our life in Christ, is the source, the source of peace and hope in our lives. Like Abraham, our faith in God's promises is our guide, even as we falter. Here is the culmination of our faith. Christ is our present and future hope. We could read this one section of Romans again and again and marinate in the grace that we find here, and indeed, perhaps we should. As the season of Lent will demand from us our best attention to confront our corruptibility and our mortality. We must remember that God is God, and we are not. And so for this very reason, we long for God's mercy and compassion. And Paul comes to us and says, do not worry, do not fret. We have all we need in Christ. God keeps God's promises. We are bound to God, and God is bound to us. Thanks be to Christ's divine self-offering. The heart of the matter is love. God's love for creation. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's given to us, placed in our hands, nourishing our bodies. And this love is our hope. Because we have Jesus, God is with us in every suffering, every worry, every doubt. This week I had the great privilege of sitting at the feet of some great teachers. These are men and women who have experienced great injustice and oppression. And yet, they radiate peace and grace. I was astounded. I wanted to know why they were not raging and angry. And they began to witness to me the power of Christ in their lives. They told me that they never put their trust or hope in human potential. They know and have experienced the corruption of humanity by its great desire for power and money. They know, they know that we are tempted to serve other gods, and yet these men and women trust God's compassion and grace and mercy. They believe, they believe wholeheartedly in God's promises that their hope is in God's desire for justice and compassion. Their witness demanded that I take a hard look at my faith and my witness. I wonder, where do I put my trust? Do I put my whole trust in God's compassion, mercy, and grace? You see, I can spend my whole life trying to earn power or even God's love. Indeed, I have spent many days trusting in my ability to save myself 
or you or my neighbor. And inevitably, this becomes my frustration. It turns out that I'm completely out of control of anyone but myself, and that is not often. And so I begin to demand that my neighbors, even those I love the most, work as hard as I do. And this kind of life these days always corrupt me, convincing me of my power, putting faith in myself. My heart yearns for the days when I spend my time resting in the love of Christ. I can face my days and my neighbors with the knowledge of God's grace that all of creation is beloved and chosen by our Creator. And rooted in this love, I am free, free to be who God made me to be, a witness to God's mercy and compassion in my life. This is really all Jesus asks of us, that we accept his divine self-offering, that we put our whole trust in his grace and love. May we have the strength and courage to do so all our days.